For first-time horse owners and new riders, finding the information and support you need can be challenging. Luckily, Equine Network has partnered with Sentinel and Absorbine to bring you MyNewHorse.com as your one-stop shop for easy-to-understand horse care information and guidance. Visit MyNewHorse.com. You're listening to Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. (laughs) Welcome to Sleep Stories for Equestrians. I'm your host, Ashley Winch. We're so happy you're here to relax and unwind. If you fall asleep and miss the story, we will recap it at the beginning of the next episode. We've also selected and edited these stories for ultimate relaxation, removing any stressful bits without affecting the story's integrity so you can focus on drifting off to sleep. With that, let's settle down and prepare for our story. The gates are closed, the horses sleep, the day's work done, the chores complete. Now let us rest, our bodies and minds, drift off to sleep, and close your eyes. It's time for us to turn down for the night. Now let's breathe in, breathe out, and turn off the light. One more time, breathe out, breathe in. Now, let us begin. In our last episode, there was an outpouring of love and support for all of Shinkatig and Assateague, but especially the Bibi family and new mommy Misty. Did we finally decide on a name for her foal? Let's find out. Chapter 23 Dress Rehearsal It was unanimous. The town council, the firemen, the ladies' auxiliary, preacher Britton, and of course, the postmaster. Everyone approved the name Stormy. Stormy, they said, was the one good thing to come out of the storm. News of the Misty Disaster Fund swept the eastern shore. Theater owners all up and down the coast wanted to present the famous ponies on their mission of mercy. Now that Paul and Maureen had agreed to a tryout, they entered into the project with enthusiasm. It's got to be good, Paul kept repeating. If children are going to spend their allowance money, they're entitled to a real show. Why, Paul, the movie of Misty is a beautiful show, Maureen said in a hurt tone. Sure it is, but lots of folks have seen it. What they want to see now is Misty herself and little Stormy. Even the mayor says so. The performance in the big city of Richmond was scheduled for a week from Saturday, 
that left only 10 days to do a million things, big and little. They scrubbed Misty's step stool and gave it a fresh coat of paint, bright blue. And the moment it was dry, and a dozen times each day, they made her step up on it and shake hands vigorously, just for practice. Often, while she shook hands, Stormy nursed her. Makes Misty seem ambidextrous, Paul said. Grandpa chortled. Reckon you could call it that. I swan, the way that gal shakes hands on the slightest excuse, it looks like she's campaigning. She is, Maureen said. She's campaigning for the Misty Disaster Fund. Maureen, you go get my nippers, Grandpa ordered. I better trim them hooves. She's shaking hands so high, she's liable to plant her hoofograph on some little yonker's head. As for Stormy, working on her was pure joy. Every night after school, Paul and Maureen curried and combed her, not to make her less fuzzy, but to get her used to something besides Misty's tongue. And gradually, they halter broke her. Of course, there wasn't a halter anywhere on the island, or even in Horntown or Pocomoke, tiny enough to fit. Paul had to make one out of wiki rope, just as he had done for Misty when she was a baby. And after a little urging, Grandma gave up her favorite piece of chest flannel to wrap around the noseband of the halter. Just feel of it now, Grandma, Paul exclaimed. It's just as soft as the lamb's wool they use for racehorse colts. Don't need to feel it. I know, Grandma said dryly. Stormy accepted the halter with only a little head tossing. Occasionally, as she was being led about, she turned to gaze at Skipper and the kid as much to say, Hey you, why can you run free? For answer, they blatted and barked and dared her to join in on the fun, but Misty wouldn't let her. When they came too close, she leaped at them, lashing out with her forefeet, head low, teeth bared. They quickly got the message, scattered in panic, and stayed away for hours. As Saturday approached, everything was ready except the old truck. How ugly and drab it seemed for a movie star and her filly. It needed paint and polish and a new floor and a new top, but there was no money and no time to do anything about it. Then, late on Friday, just before darkness closed in, Mr. Hancock arrived looking pleased as a boy. He took a long bundle from his car and with a proud flourish, unrolled two enormous pieces of canvas. 
On each he had painted a life-size picture of Misty and Stormy. To cover the sides of your truck, he said proudly. I want the folks in Richmond to know that us Shinkatigers do things right. Now even the truck was resplendent and gay. By six o'clock the next morning, chores were done and Grandpa and the children were loading up the truck. Grandma and Skipper, Nanny and the kid were clustered about, watching as Misty walked up the ramp in eager anticipation. She could smell the sweet hay aboard and the juicy slices of a delicious apple tucked here and there. Little Stormy skittered along after her, with Paul and Maureen on either side, arms spread eagle to keep her from falling off. I feel so left behind, Grandma said, folding and unfolding her hands in her apron. Like, well, like a colt that's being weaned. Grandpa was about to break into laughter, but when he saw Grandma's woebegone face, he came over to her, his voice full of tenderness. Tied a life's flowing normal again, Aedy. They going out and the coming in. Sure, Grandma, Maureen said, and we'll be home before dark. And hungry as bears, added Paul. Grandma blinked hard. I reckon the storms brought us so close, I hate to lose sight of you, even for a day. Big tears began running down her face. Itty, Grandpa bellowed, you come with us. Call up them auxiliary ladies and tell them you can't sew on the children's band uniforms today. So what if the old ones floated out to sea? Tell the kids to play in their birthday suits. Tell them anything. Tell him we can't load and unload the ponies without your help. Suddenly, the tension was gone. Grandma wiped her tears with the corner of her apron and began laughing at the thought of her lifting the ponies. Now be off with you. I can't stand out here all day. I've got a pile of work to do. But as the truck swung out of the drive, she did not go into the house. Her eyes followed it to the road as she continued wrapping and unwrapping her arms in her apron. Then suddenly, she took off the apron and waved goodbye. Paul turned and waved back. He could see Grandma growing smaller and farther away, standing in front of the sign that said, Misty's Meadow. And even while he was feeling sorry for her, having to do up the dishes and go to the ladies' auxiliary and all, his mind raced ahead to Richmond. In a sudden panic, he wondered, would there be anyone in the theater at all? 
Maybe the day was too nice and children would be shooting marbles and flying kites and playing baseball, and they had already seen the movie anyway. Chapter 24 Stormy's Debut In Richmond, a hundred and twenty miles away, children of all ages were waking up, springing out of bed, aware that this morning held a delicious sense of adventure and wonder. They dressed more quickly than usual and fretted at grown-ups who dilly-dallied over breakfast. They wanted to be sure of getting to the theater on time. A few of the children could boast of having seen real actors making personal appearances, and some had even seen animal actors like Trigger and Lassie. But no one ever had seen the live heroes of a story that had really and truly happened. It was almost too exciting to think about. The employees of the Bird Theater, too, felt an enthusiasm they could not define. By nine o'clock, the manager had arrived just out of the barber chair. He was followed closely by the projectionist who disappeared into his cubicle under the ceiling. Then came the cashier, the popcorn maker, and the ticket taker, followed by the musicians with their cellos and piccolos and kettle drums. And last of all, the ushers and the doormen in bright blue uniforms with gold braid and buttons. By ten minutes after nine, all was in readiness, the lights blazing, the film threaded properly, the orchestra tuning up, popcorn popping, and filling the lobby with its tantalizing smell. And most important, a special ramp was snubbed up tight against the stage. To test it, the manager stomped up the ramp and stomped back down again, as if he were a whole cavalcade of horses. Solid as the Brooklyn Bridge, he said in satisfaction. By 9.15, the ushers took their posts, the doormen opened the plate glass doors, and down in the pit the orchestra began playing. Pony boy, pony boy, won't you be my pony boy? At the same time, the pretty cashier climbed into her perch in her glass cage. By 9.16, she was looking out the porthole saying, How many, please? Thank you. How many, please? Thank you. Her fingers flew to make change and tear off the right number of tickets. No one, not even the manager, was prepared for the swarms of people coming all at once. Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts, Girl Scouts and Brownies, Campfire Girls and Bluebirds, 
classes from schools, from churches, from orphanages, families of eight and ten, with neighbor children in tow. It was a human river, so noisy with shuffling and shouting that even the drums in the orchestra could scarcely be heard. By 9.40, every seat on the first floor was taken. By 9.50, the balcony was filling up. And by one minute to ten, there wasn't a seat left anywhere, not even in the second balcony. From floor to ceiling, the theater was packed. At the stroke of ten, the asbestos curtain went up. The ponderous red velvet curtains parted, and the house lights dimmed, except for the tiny red bulbs at the exits. With a crash of cymbals, the music stopped. A hush spread over the theater and rose like heat waves from a midsummer hayfield. Then, in all that breathless quiet, the picture flashed on the screen, and suddenly time ceased to exist. A thousand people were no longer in a darkened theater. They were transported to a wind-rumpled island, with seabirds crying and wild ponies spinning along the beach. By pure magic, they were playing every role. They were roundup men spooking out the wild ponies from brush and briar, and suddenly coming upon the phantom with her newborn foal, Misty. And then they were that foal, struggling to swim across the channel, struggling to keep from being sucked down into a whirlpool, and in a flash they were a daring tow-headed boy jumping into the sea, grabbing Misty's forelock and pulling her to safety. Even the ushers in the aisle were caught up in the spell, cheering when the phantom raced Black Comet and won, laughing when Misty came flying out of Grandma's kitchen, gulping their tears when Paul bade farewell to the beautiful wild mare who was Misty's mother. An unmistakable sniffling filled the theater as the end flashed upon the screen. Grown-ups and children smiled at each other through their tears as if they had come through a heartwarming experience together. Then, a handful of boys in the balcony began shouting, We want Misty! We want Stormy! And the whole audience took up the chant. From the wings, the manager walked briskly onto the stage. His face was one wide, happy smile. He raised his hand for silence. Boys and girls, he spoke into the microphone. Thank you for coming to this gala performance. All of the proceeds today 
every penny you paid will be used to restore the island of Shinkatique and to rebuild the herds of wild ponies on Assateague. The applause broke before he had finished. He opened his lips to say more, but the same handful of boys shouted, We want Misty! We want Stormy! And again the whole audience joined in. We want Misty! We want Stormy! When the chant showed no signs of diminishing, the manager shrugged helplessly and signaled to the stagehand. As if he had waved a wand, the lights went out, one by one, until the theater was in total blackness. An utter quiet fell as a slender beam of light played up and down the left aisle. It steadied at a point underneath the balcony. And there, from out of the darkness into the shaft of light stepped two ponies. They were led by a spry-legged old man and flanked by a boy and a girl, but no one saw them for they were lost in shadow. Every eye was riveted on the two creatures to tupping down the aisle, one so sure-footed and motherly, and the other so little and wobbly. From a thousand throats came the whispered cry, There they are! And the murmuring grew in power, like water from a dike giving way. The children in these balconies almost fell over the railing in their urgency to see. And down below, those on the aisle reached out with their arms, and those not on the aisle crowded on top like a football pile-up, and the fingers of all those hands stretched out to feel the furry bodies. The manager cried out in alarm, don't touch the ponies, you might get kicked. But it was like crying to the sun to stop shining or the wind to stop blowing. With his body, Paul tried to protect Stormy and Misty. But they didn't want protection. They were enjoying every minute of their march down the aisle. And now... The little procession has reached the ramp to the stage. Misty walks up calmly, in almost human dignity, and with only a little pushing from behind, Stormy joins her. The stage is ablaze with light, so the audience is nothing but a black blur, far away and quiet now. Misty looks around her at the big, bright emptiness. It is bigger than her stall at home, bigger even than Doc Finney's stable. Her eyes give only a passing glance to the artificial palm trees. Then they pounce on the one thing she recognizes, her stepstool. 
In seeming delight, she goes over and steps up with her forefeet, nickering to Stormy. Come to me, little one. Stormy shows a moment of panic. Her nostrils flutter in a petulant whinny. Then, light as thistledown, she skitters across the stage. And with all the faces watching, she nuzzles up to her mother and begins nursing, her little broom tail flapping in greedy excitement. So deep a silence hangs over the theater that the sounds of her suckling go out over the loudspeakers and carry up to the second balcony. In quiet ecstasy, each child is hugging Stormy to himself in wonder and love. Done with her nursing, the filly turns her head, wiping her baby whiskers on Paul's pant leg. The audience bursts into joyous laughter. The spell is broken. Misty jostles her foal and nips along her neck just in fun. Then she licks her vehemently as if to make up for that long separation during the ride from Shinkatigue. All this while none of the human creatures on the stage had spoken a word. But suddenly, Grandpa was over his stage fright. If Misty ain't careful, he bellowed to the last row in the balcony, she'll erase them purty patches off a stormy. The children shrieked. When at last they had quieted down, Grandpa thanked them in behalf of all the people of Shinkatigue and the ponies that were there and the new ones which their money was going to buy. And Stormy thanks you too, Grandpa set her up on the step stool beside her mother, and they posed with their heads close together even when a flash bulb popped right in their faces. Then, Grandpa selected one boy from the audience and one girl and invited them up on stage so that Misty could shake their hands and so thank everyone. Eagerly, the two children ran up the ramp, but once on stage, they suddenly froze their arms rigid at their sides. It was Misty who, without any prompting, offered her forefoot first. Then, timid hands reached out, one at a time, to return the gesture. But again, it was Misty who did the pumping and enjoyed the whole procedure. Grandpa threw back his head and howled. Still chuckling, he explained. In my boy days, I was an organ pumper on Sundays. If only I'd had a smart pony like Misty, she could have done it for me. Then a man went up the aisles with a microphone, and children asked their questions right into it. Was Misty really in your kitchen during the storm? 
Was it funny to see a pony looking out your kitchen window instead of grandma? Why are colts mostly legs? How many days old is Stormy? How many ponies will the firemen buy with our money? Will they go wild again on acetique? Did grandma get mad at Misty for messing up the house? Is Wings alright after the storm? Grandpa patiently answered each question with a nod and a smile of agreement from Paul and Maureen, with dozens of eager hands still waving for attention. Time ran out. The musicians started playing America the Beautiful while Misty and Stormy went down the ramp and up the other aisle this time so that more hands could reach out to touch. The sun seemed brighter than ever when the little procession reached the door of the theater. Paul and Maureen drew a deep breath. It had been a rousing, heart-lifting performance, and they knew they had never been so happy. Thank you for joining us on Sleep Stories for Equestrians. We hope you enjoy this relaxing music as it carries you off to sleep.
Thank you.